right, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 12 of Locked and Loaded with Charlie Lockwood. I'm one of your hosts, Casey Honigbaum, joined as always by the Hall of Famer, Charlie Lockwood, sitting right across the table from me. And um, we've got a very special guest today, as we do almost every single week, another Hall of Famer. Um, Charlie, I know you guys butted heads in the world games a little bit, but we're teammates, correct? Um, and I know that you have been excited to have him on here for a little bit since we started talking. And uh, why don't you go ahead and, and introduce our guest here? Yeah, so um, every single week, like you said, Casey. It's, You're always it's, looking forward it, to it's, it's great because I, know, I get yeah. to hook up with my buddies. And Tom Marachek is a friend of mine, former teammate, a guy that, you know, it's been several years since we've uh, graduated from school at Syracuse together. But uh, we stay in touch and we run in the same circles. And, you know, from my perspective, it's it's great to have guys like Tom on. Tom was one of the greatest lacrosse players that I had a privilege of uh, being on the same field of and playing with. And he'll go down as one of the greatest scorers, one of the flashiest type of uh, attackmen that the game has ever seen. And I was really fortunate enough to play with Tom. And uh, welcome to the show, Tom. Finally. Well, thank Yeah. No, thank you, Charlie. It's uh, a privilege to see you guys. And uh, I know you're doing some good things. So it's uh, good to connect again. I think um, I know we were talking kind of before we came on air here about the a lot of the prep school scene. And I know we ha- we actually had funny enough. We had Char- uh, Charlie Jr. on and uh, he was talking about, you know, his his prep school days and how it, well that are still going on. But um, he was telling us about his experience and kind of the differences between his regular high school across his prep school across the difference, not only in, you know, the level of commitment, but the the level of competition. Um, I think he talked about the, you know, the um, uh, how intense the practices are. And that was one of the things that he mentioned. But I wanted to ask you as someone who's at, you know, at IMG Academy, which, you know, I think. It does, you don't need to just know lacrosse to know IMG Academy. It's a it's a sports mecca almost there for for prep school sports. But talk to us a little bit about that and what did, what's the growth that you have seen in prep school lacrosse? What is that on your end and and have, how have you enjoyed you know being there and you know interacting with that so far? Yeah, Casey. Uh, you know I've I've been here almost four years now and uh, it was a great move for us, my family and I. We have two boys, uh, one's a junior and one's an eighth grader. Uh, they're both playing for the, uh, for the program, our lacrosse program. I love, I love being the director. I've, I've coached for many, many years before that, for 28 years, college and high school. But we, uh, we're thriving. You know, the thing that sets us apart at IMG Academy is more to do with our athletic performance staff. You know, not only do they have the lacrosse staff every day in the morning for girls, afternoon for boys, we have a, a nutrition coach. We have a leadership coach. We have a uh, strength and conditioning coach, and uh, and and it's just it's just something that gives each kid um, an advantage, you know. And and a mental coach, actually, I forgot to, to mention, is probably yeah. the biggest strong. That's the strongest suit. That's that's something that's a uh, a huge piece to what we do here at IMG Academy. Is these kids can go off and and, and talk to the mental coaches that we have and. If they have anything, you know, personal issues with school or they might not get along with a, a certain teammate sure. or even even a coaching staff, you know, if they're not getting some some play in practice or games, they they have these coaches set aside to go talk to. So, you know, it's it's not easy being a, a kid these days and, and, and being at a boarding school like IMG Academy. You sometimes get homesick and you, you need that extra that extra voice, somebody, uh, a sounding board to talk to and uh 
we really we are we take that very serious with our athletic performance staff that's really good i think that's because you know i mean we talk about it with all i mean we we talk baseball we talk softball we talk lacrosse on on our three podcasts that we have here and you know in each one of them we talk about how important the the mental side of the game is not only on the field but off the field as well so it's i mean it's it's really cool that kids have those those resources you know, yeah and, and, and like case like you just said you know having charlie go through it now yeah. and and tom you know my son charlie's a, a 10th grader 25 at lawrenceville and he's been there almost a year now and i think the biggest advantage um like you just said tom was that you know preparation for college preparation for life so obviously you know the sporting component is big yeah and you know you want to take advantage of that that's one of the main reasons you go to an img or lawrenceville but the academics the time you know commitment and understanding time slots and management and things like that i never had that time i don't know about you but when i got to syracuse even though it was 15 minutes up the road I felt like I was, you know, on a different planet on vacation for the first couple of years. I didn't really understand time management at all. And, you know, that to me is the biggest advantage where Charlie, my son, when he gets to college underneath the vigorous schedule that he has right now, especially on the academic side, he's miles ahead of Tom of where I was. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Charlie. Um, and my sons are, are seeing it now. They're actually uh, they're thriving. You know, there was a point in, in their career when they were younger that they were kind of giving up on lacrosse. And I didn't put much pressure on them. And uh, my my oldest I did because I did coach him for, like you did, Charlie. I coached Kerner for at least four years when he was a little kid, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And uh, I had to step away. You know, the pressure that I just put on him without really realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm putting some pressure on him just because I guess who I was in the sport Um He's a different player than me. I keep telling him he was a midfielder. He was a face-off kid. I was an attackman. So, but I think all in all, uh, having the resources here uh, with our athletic performance staff. Um, by the way, you know our national team's on a trip up in the Northeast. We have uh, a seven-game trip, and uh, they're doing well. We took they took Matt Wheaton, who's our strength and conditioning coach, with them and a teacher. And so these kids have all the resources with them, even when they leave IMG Academy. Yeah. To, to be great. on a trip. So I feel good not being on the trip with them. I'm going to be on their next trip uh, in May, but I feel more secure that we have these resources and these, and these personnel, not only the coaching staff and our trainer, we have all this, these other people involved. Tom, can you believe it, man, what these kids have today? And they have the access to these unbelievable programs. I mean, listen, I, I was fortunate enough to play at West Genesee high school, you know, but, you know, the public versus prep school yeah, has completely flip-flopped, Tom, since when I was in school. You know, the, all the all the top schools were public schools, you know, at the top. And now it's flip-flopped, and all the best schools now, it seemed to be prep schools. And I'm not going to say it's completely unfair, but if you think about it, Tom, like even at IMG, I mean, you guys are recruiting kids. These, these are all-star teams. They're, these are not just a bunch of kids that are thrown together. There's a There's a game plan. To, to the kids that you're selecting into your school from an athletic and an academic standpoint. Yeah, it, it really is, Charlie. And, um, you know, it's it's not for everyone. I, I tell people all the time, if if you're not really, really serious about a sport, we're not the school for you. Because uh, 
not only do we do, we have the athletic performance staff, we, uh, we advocate for these kids. Called the college placement piece is a very important uh, piece for us. You know, we help these kids get into the right schools, right colleges. Uh, what we do, though, that um, some schools don't is we don't sugarcoat anything. We don't, uh, you know, there's no, there's no smoke and mirrors. We're not going to say that you can go play at Duke or you can play at Syracuse when, hey, let's look at nothing against these schools. Let's look at a, a, a Towson or a, a Delaware that's not always in the top 25. So we make sure that these kids understand and more importantly, that their parents and family understand that we're trying to help their kid holistically and, and not just blow sunshine up their butts. Well, that's that's a lot easier said than done, yeah. Tom. I, I deal with parents still up here and I recently up until a year ago I had my own club team and you know I remember a kid who was in 10th grade nice little player small skilled but not physical not you know not a division one player and his mom asked me what he needed to do in the next six to 12 months to to be able to play at division one I said well if he can grow about nine, ten inches, and and put on about seventy five pounds of pure muscle in the next twelve months, he's got a chance. And um, you know, I'm so guessing the, she didn't like that answer. That wasn't the one. I don't even know if it computed because these parents can overcome like any obstacle. And my kid is still going to play Division One. I'm like, well, okay, probably not. But yeah. you know, there was a there was a piece I seen the other day, Tom. It talked about the percentage of high school lacrosse players. I, I believe it was around two percent or so, two or three percent. No, to, to go on to play Division right, One, right. and then I think it was like five or six play Division Two, and five, five or six percent play Division sure. Three. So all in all, it was like maybe twelve to fifteen percent, but just a small piece play Division One. Yeah, and you know I think sometimes the parents, some of the parents have never even played a sport in their life, are putting unrealistic uh, expectations on their own families. Yeah, Tom, no, you probably see that. I see that a lot. Yeah, I've had some some <laughs> I've had some long conversations, some <laughs> not not so good conversations, obviously, over the last few years. And not only here at IMG, you know, I was at private schools in Baltimore for 23 right. plus years as well. So I see that everywhere. Um, yeah. You know, parents don't want to hear it, unfortunately. Um, but uh, when you're spending the money you, that they're doing, that they're, that they're spending here or any other boarding school for, for the matter is. I tell them, like, you got to be realistic. You know, you want your son to go play lacrosse. If he's playing lacrosse and he wants to play and, and not just sit on the bench, then you got to look at D2 and D3. It's not, there's nothing wrong with D2 or yeah. D3. I'm having a conversation with my own son about D2 and D3. And, and you know, of course, Charlie, he wants to go to Syracuse. So does a lot of people. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, and I tell him that's good straight though. out. I, that, it is a good. good. It is. It's a dream, yeah. and a goal or whatever. Yeah. So I still think that's good. Exactly. Exactly. And I told Karen, I said, listen, if we can, we can work the numbers out. And, you know, if Gary wants you, which Gary is sort of interested, we can see if it works. But uh, realistically, are you going to start as a, are you going to play it all as a freshman? Are you going to play it all as a uh, sophomore, junior? Who knows? That's a right. chance you have to take. Um, I'd rather you go to, you know, Bellarmine University or, or somewhere else that is a Division One school where you'll actually see the field. Um, I personally, you know me, Charlie, I'm very competitive. Uh, do you think I could sit on a bench freshman, junior, sophomore, junior? There's no way. You know um, what? Same, same here, Tom. We're, I think we're on the same wavelength there. And, you know, uh, people don't think about that those things sometimes, Tom, until it's too late. 
You know, I got a great story, and you know Bubba Burles, um, great defenseman at, at Maryland. I was at the national yep. championship game a couple years ago when Maryland was playing Virginia, and I ran into Bubba, and I said, you know, what are you doing here? I didn't realize his, his son was on Maryland at the time. Um, or, you know, he was he, – I think he started off at Yale, and then he ended up at Maryland. And um, Dom Finn and uh, Jamie Archer and myself coached the Under Armour senior game the year before, and, and Bubba's son was on the team as a defenseman from the Maryland area. And he was one of the best players in the game, Tom. That, that night, he was one of the best players with a pole. I think he had two or three goals. And he was mm-hmm. highly skilled, and he was just a man, right? He goes to Yale, doesn't play. When I seen him in that game, Maryland versus Virginia, he was one of the last guys. Now, he's playing now, but if that doesn't show you how competitive these upper schools are, I don't know what does. You could be one of the best players as a high school senior, and you might not see the field for a year, two, or three at the next level, depending on what school you go to. You go to Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, they got 25 guys like you, Right. you know? Yeah. So yeah. You, I think I don't think some people think about that, Tom. You know what I mean? They get there and they go, "Great, we're here," and then it's like, "So are thirty guys just like you." Yeah, and and, and Charlie, I, I I tell the story all the time when when I went to Syracuse for my first season, eighty eight, eighty nine. I looked at the roster, the the kids that came in my same class. These kids were four time All Americans from Yorktown, Long Island, and. They all, they had their pick of the litter. They could have went to UNC, Virginia, all on full rides. Uh, but you know, the winning a championship at Syracuse in 88 made them want to go to Syracuse and mm. knowing that there's, Hey, there's still guys on that roster that are going to be there for two, two, three more years. So knowing that they probably won't play that much, or maybe they did think and they, they beat those guys out, but. I knew it wasn't going to happen. I'm not going to mention names, but there's a few guys that were on my era years, and they should have probably went somewhere. Um, but it is, yeah. it's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough. And you got to prove yourself every single day, uh, not only in college, Charlie, you know that. Good, good, high, good high schools like, like uh, Lawrenceville and IMG Academy. We still have kids out there practicing, battling, fighting, just to see if yeah. they can get a trip uh, in their, under their belt for the national team. You know, we have a varsity team. We have a white varsity, which is a mix of kind of a JV with some middle schoolers. Then we have our national team, and that's the stage you want to – your goal. That's your goal-setting stage is to get on that mm-hmm. national team so you can travel and play against the best of the best. It, I think uh, speaking of the best of the best, I mean, that, let's talk about your career a little bit because uh, I was when I was doing some research before we, uh, you know, we were going to hop on here and, and I was looking at your Wikipedia page, first of all, has your nickname – Tom Hollywood Marichek. And I wanted to ask you, as I've been very curious, as I've been doing some research in the past couple of days, where did that nickname come from? How did that come to be? And uh, do you ever still get, you know, people calling you by that name now? And what's that like? Uh, yeah. If I you do. can share how um, that nickname came, I don't know. Maybe no, it's a, no, no, maybe no. it's a rated R I, story. Who knows? Who knows? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I approach the game, since I was six years old with just a lot of flair and fun yeah. and, and Charlie knows that. Right. And I, I have fun with it. I, I, I like singing and I'm sure Charlie was sick of hearing my voice on the bus trips, but uh, I just, I love singing. I love singing. I like making a joke of things and I, and I'm, 
you know, I have a lot of flair, like Charlie said. Yeah, I love shooting between the legs, reverse backhand, behind the back shots. And that's pretty much combined with the singing and having fun and making the game fun for myself. That's uh, that's pretty much where uh, the nickname Hollywood came from. And and, uh, and I did have longer blonde hair and maybe looked a little the part. But back in the day, it was all it was all about just having the flair and uh, and, and, try, and just enjoying the game, making the game fun. Yeah. Like if I played generically, if I had to just do overhand and maybe I don't think I would have lasted at West Jenny, right, Charlie, the way I played. So no, <laughs> no, you, your days, your days would have been numbered there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think but, so. I don't think but I Tom, where the, yeah. Tom, just to hear you say that though, is refreshing. And, and I hope any, any of the younger kids out there that are listening, you know, when you can combine having fun yeah. with the game at a highly competitive level, that is like, that's, that's the tops. Yeah. That's, that's, you, it doesn't get any better than that. And when you can win, listen, and, and, and anyone that says you can do that and lose, I'm not so sure. So you can have fun, you can have flair, competitive spirit, and when you win and you put all those things together, like, you got it all. And so, Tom, yeah. you're, you know, I, you, you were one of those guys, and, you know, you were a little bit older than me, not too much older, but... You know, the things that you did, Tom, I'm not going to say were completely ahead of time because, you know, there was plenty of Canadians before you uh, that were trying to pull some of those things off in the box and on the field. But the way that you did it with Gary and Paul and as an impressionable kid at West Genesee, watching that when I was younger, you know, it was just it was a special time for all of us younger kids to watch that. But you know, Tom, when you look back at some of those plays that you made, and yeah, they were flashy, no doubt, but some of them were practical. Tom, some of the some of the backhand shots, I wouldn't maybe say not all the through the leg shots, but definitely the backhand shots. You didn't have an angle, like you don't, the only angle that you had was a stick that was behind your shoulder, behind your back. You might not have had that angle if you would come overhand. So, you know, like there was definitely a lot of flair, but there was a lot of practicality too, and I think today's game time you see a lot more of it. And you're one of those guys that you know led the way a few years ago. Yeah, well, thanks, Charlie. And it was just you know learning the box game. You know that I was a box player first. Um, angles was about everything I've done. Right when you're shooting on a four by four goal with a Michelin man protecting the goal, you have to be adept, and you got to learn to to move the goalie and, and be creative with your stick work. And that's what I was, right? And that's why I learned the behind the back. And I shot him, hey, I shot him my driveway with sometimes my brother in goal with a tennis ball, you know, on a four by four box goal. And that's, uh, that may be the player that I was. And I saw a six by six when I went to Syracuse, it was a little easier, <laughs> um, but you know. <laughs> so, oh. so it's basically, you know, the creativity came from watching guys like Kevin Alexander, uh, my brother playing for the Victoria Shamrocks in the late 70s and 80s, uh, eating hot dogs and drinking soda pop, as Canadians call it, in the, in the stands. And, and that's what, uh, that's what made me better. Just, I wanted to get better. That's why I was out there. And kids these days, Charlie, you know that you don't see them out there as much anymore by themselves. They, they put their stick on their, you know, they put their stick back in their locker and, and that's, and that's done for the day. They, they thought their practice was good enough or their game was good enough, but to really, raise the bar for yourself you have to you have to get against the wall or a bounce back or shoot on a goal or 
you know, my, my son, I'm making Kerner do ones after practice. I'm like, you didn't really get much work in during practice. Get Jackson, get, uh, you know, get Patrick, get those long poles and do some ones, do some ones from X, do some ones from, from the, from the, from the wing. Yeah. Tom, that, that's that's the message, right? Yeah. Casey, we've done enough of these already, mm-hmm. and that is a common theme. And it's, I, I, I just I want to say, say I mean, Tom, Vinny was talking about that on last week's the, episode. The, you know? the practice, Tom, begins after practice. Anyone that thinks they go to a two-hour standard practice and is doing it, they don't have a clue. The, the, the practice becomes after practice when nobody's watching. It's cold. You're tired. You're sweaty. You're bleeding. That's when you put the time in that separates good from great. Yeah. And and Tom, I just want to also mention something. It's kind of a funny story, but so you went from a four by four to a six by six, essentially, right? You grew up with the box. You came to the field. I know you were sort of probably doing, you know, both concurrently when you were younger, but really hit the big stage when you hit the Syracuse. So four by four to six by six. When my freshman year, Tom, as you know, uh, Gary had asked me to go play in Toronto for the beaches, right? So I had never played box. So I go from a six by six to a four by four. And I had, I was lucky enough. There was guys up there like Derek Keenan, you, you know, you know, big Canadian uh, box player. And I'll never forget Tom. The first, one of the first messages he told me was you have to trust the head of your stick, Charlie. You won't be able to see where you're throwing it, but the head of your stick has eyes and it's going to be able to, be able to see, you know, the corners. Mm. And 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 that was Tom, you know how hard that is for a field guy? A six by yeah. six to go into a four by four. And and Casey, you might not be aware of this, but when he says Michelin man, he's being kind. Some of these guys weighed 160 pounds, but by the time <laughs> they threw their pads on, they yeah. looked like they like sumo wrestlers. Right, right. Right? And you can't see anything on these four yeah. by fours. So Tom, I can't even tell you how frustrating it was for a guy like me. Because I was super athletic, I was able to get 15 shots on top of the cage every game, and I only had like three or four goals. Yeah. And and I and I kept hitting them or I kept missing it. And I was just like, I got great shots, I just could never put them in. And I was like, damn. But I will tell you, when I came back to shoot on a six by six, it looked like a ten by ten. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, I I did it different. I did it almost reverse of how you did it, Tom. But I I think yeah. any field player should have box experience and you can blend those two together and become a heck of a player for sure. Absolutely. Charlie, I think, uh, you know, well, you look right now, look at the history of NCAA, you see a lot more Canadians than there were when you played with me. Right. Right. Not many Canadians when you were playing and you see a lot, you know, kid, the NCAA coaches are going after Canadians because we just have the knack for finishing and in close and, and, uh, ground balls. And, and we tighten, we, we pass in tight, tight situations that the defenders aren't ready for that. Right. You know, if you look at these Canadians, you know, you got Hiltzy on Syracuse and he's become a really good player and he's a good feeder and he's, he passes in tight situations and, and Williams over at Duke. And, and you got all these guys that know how to feed and do a two man game and uh, more and more uh, colleges are looking for that. So, yeah. Yeah. Tom, one of the things when you just said that it made me think about your game and, I appreciate this, Tom, because I'm a, obviously, you know, I, I played at a higher level and I can recognize things like this. But when Tom was on the field, Casey, and, and anyone should go watch Tom's highlights mm-hmm. and whatnot, the, the, the one thing that st- stuck out and it still does is when Canadians like yourself, Tom, when you catch it, 
in tight quarters around the crease area, an American might rush that split-second play where a Canadian just very smooth and poised was able to finish those shots. Even though it was still a bang-bang play, it just seemed like there was that one area where the composure, in time, you know what I'm talking about? It seemed like the Canadians had that composure in tight quarters where Americans might have uh, rushed it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I I tell people all the time the difference between American shooters and Canadian shooters is American shooters use more of their shoulders to shoot. Hmm. Canadians use more of their wrists. It's all handsy. Interesting. Canadians Canadians have their stick in front of them all the time, the head of their stick right here. Americans are more pulling back, using their shoulders to shoot. Like uh, like Laser Lockwood here. Um, <laughs> Laser Lockwood, he was a great shooter in his day, I'll tell you. But uh, so yeah, we're just taught because you're in a you're in a box situation. You got a tight area, so you got to learn how to get release that shot. You know, it's a push pull motion, right? I teach kids all the time push pull motion without taking having to take your stick back and get checked. It's better to use that push pull motion in tight situations. Your stick's always in front of you. And you can finish from any kind of angle, right? So yeah. that is the difference with the with Canadians and, and Americans. Yeah, and, and Tom, not to mention, and when you were just you know, sort of demonstrating that, it made me think. I mean, Tom is a right-handed player. Right. Typically, Canadians are known for being dominant one hand. Not saying that they don't have an, another hand, but I, Tom, would you say it's 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 fairly common that – Canadians that come and play field lacrosse probably score 80 to 90% of their goals with their dominant hand, maybe 90%. I would say like 95.9. Okay. Okay. So I think so high level, but, but the difference is though, Tom, when you were able to do like a behind the back backhand that sort of acted potentially as your left hand. It did. It's the same angle. So if we go backhand this way, it's the same. If I turned around, using a lefty shot. It's the same exact angle yeah. if you look at it. So if I, I explain that at camps, wherever I'm at doing demonstrations, it's the same angle. Behind the back is if I turned lefty and shot the same exact angle yeah. going into the goal. But I wish I did. I wish I could use my left, Charlie. I think I scored eight goals in college lefty. But um, Oh, my God. Who's uh, counting, though, Tom? So <laughs> hundreds with your righty and eight with your left. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that, my, yeah. That is, see, Case, amazing. It's really interesting. I, I actually – it's funny you mentioned – I wanted to ask about your college days because this is actually something I've wanted to ask someone who played with both the Gates and also Charlie because – Something that's been a, obviously a common theme on this podcast, we talk about the number 22, and we had Casey Powell on earlier. We had Joey Spolina on as well, um, talking about like the lineage of that number. And I'm wondering because Charlie tells the story all the time about when he like decided to actually take that number. And I wonder, because you mentioned you know being nervous and also thinking about what some of the older guys on the team were saying. So obviously, you played with Gary Gate. And Paul Gate and Gary Gate had number 22 and wore that number. And then it goes from him to Charlie. What were what were you older guys on the team thinking when you see this, you know, this freshman kid who comes in and now all of a sudden he's got Gary Gates number on? Did you did you kind of were you kind of thinking already that maybe Charlie was going to be the one to to take that? Or was it kind of like, oh, really, you think you're good enough to wear that number? huh? What was that? What was that like? 
I, I think we basically said, wow, that kid's got a lot of balls. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wow, he's got a lot of balls. But uh, no, so I was obviously, you know, friends with our coach, Simi. And yeah. Simi, explained, Simi explained to us older guys that we got this West Jenny superstar that's coming. And he dared uh, Charlie to wear that number. And, and Charlie didn't even blink. He, he took it and went and, and rolled with it. So we were, yeah, we were off, obviously, you know how guys are, especially the guys that weren't starting. We're like, who's this, who's this smart ass kid with the 22? So, you know, so there was Tom, some Tom, it, it wasn't you that I ran into. So it was more of the Long Island guys, I think. The Pat McKay. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, Patty was you there. Know. You're right. Patty was, Patty was our, <laughs> Patty was our senior that year in 91 when you came in. I was only a junior still. Paul so, Cannon. Uh, Paul Cannon, yeah, all those guys. All Gil those Martin. guys. So yeah, they, they, yeah. yeah they, they like to give it to the younger guys. Dang yeah, man. yeah. And, and uh, yeah, of course, we're like, oh, geez, here's this kid. Who the, who the hell is he thinking? <laughs> but really, Tom, Gary Gates' number? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tom, you know, some of the, the best days, you know, that when I reflect back as I get older, you're older now, we, we look back on it. I mean, it was special. Um you know, there's there's that thirty for thirty that ESPN does on great teams and yeah, yeah. controversial figures and and all these things. And I mean, if someone was smart, Tom, they'd probably put together a thirty for thirty for Syracuse lacrosse <laughs> because it was the way that it was done. Like, I'm not sure there's ever going to be an era like that again, Tom. And I'm being serious. Because I'm not sure that, number one, with phones and things like that, Tom, I don't think we could get away with the things we, <laughs> we got away with. But it was the style. It was the run and gun. It was the showmanship. It was a lot of things that, you know, teams can try to replicate sure. a little bit. But I'm telling you, it was – we were like the Miami Hurricanes. We were the UNLV running Rebs. It was – that's who we were. Yeah. And Tom, that was fun, wasn't it? It was a, it was a lot of fun to play in that era for sure. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, and you're right, Charlie. Uh, what were we? Twenty two NCAA Final Fours in a row. Was that, <sighs> what were we? Twenty two, twenty three. That's still a record. Imagine, imagine that, these days. That'll that'll yeah. never be touched. No, no, that won't in be any touched. sport. But, but you know what? We were very fortunate too, Charlie, that we had Roy Simmons Jr. as our head coach because he did give us the green light to be creative. Uh, you don't see that a lot of times with coaching staffs and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it suited my game well. Um, but, uh, not everyone, uh, not every coach would, could see that in their players or even trusted their players to, to be creative right. every day. And, and, hmm. you know, there would, there would no, there wouldn't be an air gate or, you know, behind the backs or, uh, and all that, if it wasn't for Roy, uh, coach Simmons. So all the credit goes to him. No doubt. Yeah. Everything, everything about that era was, was amazing. And, just before you got here, Charlie, our 1990 team was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you actually, you know, obviously came and, and when we had younger guys and a lot of guys left in 90. But, uh, yeah, our 90 team was a, a team that uh, I'll never forget. You know, basically, I remember seeing no one uh, Coach, uh, Coach Desco and Coach Donahue and Coach Simmons just sometimes just sitting in awe on the sidelines <laughs> and rolling a ball out to us and letting us do our thing without even coaching us. Um, behind the backs, you know, 35 yard rips to each other's sticks. And you just don't, you just don't see the flow no. like that. And, and on and off the field, which made us great on the field is, uh, we were a family, you know, we were a family off the field and we hung out together. We supported each other. We, uh, we hung out at Skytop there when the weather's are getting nice for getting <laughs> prepared for the final four and, 
I remember yeah. taking, remember we used to take sofas out of our the living best, rooms. The best, the best. Bring Those them are the best. I don't yeah. think, Tom, you know what? Just thinking about it right now out loud, I don't think we knew how well we had it. Yeah. No, it was, we didn't. We didn't. We were, uh, I just remember you know? getting a, I get a meal card and, you know, there was so much money left on it that I just, <laughs> I just bought other teammates uh, food all the time. And I remember at the end, I remember. I remember at the end of the year when the students were leaving and we had to stay behind preparing for the final four, school was over. I remember taking those sofas out and, and, and just, you know, going for a swim. It was or the just best. Sun, sun tanning outside. And I remember going to Shine and buying boxes of frozen chicken and hot dogs. Shrimp. And we just, oh. we, and we just grill. We just, go. we would just grill out. We'd grill out all the time because, you know, we had all this money to spend from our meal cards and they made <laughs> us, they let us, they let That's us true. use it to buy, to buy bulk foods so we can, uh, have a few pops and, and have some laughs and, and we but we always hung together. We always we always hung together. So it was a good good moment, good time. Yeah, right? Tom, I, I love talking about that stuff. It it really brings back some great memories uh yeah. for me personally. Bringing me back to my yeah, it's it, my college well, team Casey, and everything. I, Casey, well I can imagine Casey. it's a different Tom, Casey's so young, he wasn't <laughs> even a thought when you were rolling those couches out, okay? He wasn't even a thought. But Tom, one of the questions that I get asked all the time and this for the last 20, 25 years is, Charlie, how many guys on your Syracuse team do you think could actually translate and make a Virginia, Syracuse, Duke, Carolina, Maryland type of roster today? And I'm interested, Tom, for you to quickly think about the rosters that you played on at Syracuse, right? Because I, I think about maybe – eight to 12 guys, solid, like the best of the best, Tom, yeah. on our rosters could make rosters today. But I think anything less than that would have a hard time because you see these guys, it's like their full-time job. These these guys look more like football players today, Tom. They're real athletes, okay? We, you know, Tom, on our team that we had a third of our guys, you know, rolled off the couch and showed up to practice. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So I, I'm not sure that that is the case anymore. How many guys do you think on your rosters would, would, would make today's roster? That's a good question. Um, you know, I've thought about it, about it before, you know, especially with the, the rigorous uh, uh, energy that every, all these new teams have now. They're, they're lifting, they're eating, they've got nutrition tables now, and they're doing what we're kind of doing here at IMG Academy. So you're, I think the numbers, 8 to 10, might be a good – that's – Pretty accurate, Charlie. I think you're right. I think this, this, the guys that uh, the starting lineup from my '90 team for sure, uh, and maybe a, maybe a couple maybe a couple more. Um, you're right, and uh, I think I like that. I like that percentage. It's a super interesting question it, to answer, it, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah, listen, you see it all. About. You see it all the time, like on the NBA. Tonight, well, it's every sport. You think they, about they the, compare eras. just the way that athletes have evolved and the way that training has evolved, and like you mentioned, nutrition and all of that lifting like it it's just it's specialized and it's also more efficient now than ever yeah. it seems like so it's it's very interesting to think about and especially too that i like you know tying it back into to img because that's what um makes img stand out and because you know and a lot of these prep schools too because they're so i mean they're close to what those college programs are doing um, and I, and that's it's, the point. It's, it's essentially on exactly. the boarding aspect. I mean, like my son, Charlie, he, it's a college schedule. Yeah. Right. I feel like he's in college as a 10th grader. Yeah. That's essentially what he's doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think I, I know we've uh, and we appreciate Tom. We appreciate you taking the time uh, today. Uh, but just to finish off, um, I want to ask, um, I know you guys played against each other and in the worlds, correct? And you were on Canada, yep. Tom, I believe. Talk to me about that. I And this was not prompted by Charlie at all. I wanted to uh, I wanted to know what it was sure like playing. It wasn't. I brought. See, I'm getting the get the lie detector t- test out. I um I want to know just real quick. You know, getting to represent Canada, playing against the U.S., playing against Charlie. What? Just talk to me about that whole experience because, I, I mean, we had TD Erlin on earlier this year, and he's going to play on Team USA. And um, you know, just for those who who don't know, Vinny Sombrato spoke highly, very highly of, of that of that ex- whole experience and. You know, now coming from the the Team Canada side, just talk to us about what it's like to represent your country and play with the best of the best against the best of the best. Well, the first World Games was 1990. It was in uh, Perth, Australia. Um, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was the first World Games that I was in. My brother kind of filled me in a little bit of what what was about to happen. He was on the 82 Team Canada team that was played in uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore in 82 Mm -hmm. World Games. Uh, uh, then, uh, yeah, 90, I was in college, obviously just finished my sophomore year and we had a tryout, uh, just before that season, uh, the spring of, uh, 90, I believe, or might've been the fall of 89. Um, we don't have, you know, we don't have the players USA has, so we're, we're definitely underdogs. You know, we, you can pick maybe there might be 150 that they'll select just to try out on team Canada, you know, here in the States, you, you got 3000 great players, you know, mm-hmm. field across. We weren't, we weren't adapt to field lacrosse. We didn't have long poles. We were never really taught how to play defense. And that makes a huge difference, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going and uh, playing on Team Canada with my brother Billy and uh, the Gates, of course. And even Stan Cochran was there in 1990. He was still playing. Um, we just didn't have the defense. We didn't have the poles. And I'm looking across the other side of the USA. They got Dave Petramala, Steve Mitchell, Tony Resch, uh, George McGinney, uh, Di Tommaso, uh, just go on, just all four-time All-Americans, uh, world players, like Charlie mentioned, Vinny Sombrato was played in four world games. It was crazy. So we were underdogs just because of our defense. We knew we had the offense to do to do well. Sure. But it, it, all, it all starts with defense, like we always say, the old cliche, defense wins championships. Yeah. Um, I go to, we go to Perth, you know, July. It was their winter, so it was actually pretty chilly. It was 45 degrees. Um, it was not warm. Uh, played in the Waka, this old famous field that the Australian rules rugby plays and made it to the championship against us and, and lost by, I think, believe four, four or five. Um, it was a good experience. The 94 was the second world games in England. I believe Charlie, you're on that England, that team. ninety-four. Yeah. So we go, we go to England. We didn't even make it to the championship game. We, we lost to Australia. In, in the, to get into the set to the semis and we didn't even make the championship game in 94. Uh, I thought that was a very disappointing world game for team Canada. Uh, but then 98 and, and Charlie knows this 98 mm-hmm. was the special one, uh, in my hometown, Baltimore, Homewood was probably 2.2 miles away from my house. Wow. Uh, Mark Millen, Mark Millen and I lived together during that time. So it was like attack versus attack. You know, I was one of the better attackmen on, Team Canada, obviously, Millie was on U.S. And we would actually, Mark and I would actually, funny story aside, Mark and I would train 
together in our driveway and he was on us and i was on team canada so nice. looking on the field you know you got casey powell who just came out of college you got charlie and and a few of my other friends on team uh, on team usa pat McCabe. Some oh, wait, was pat on that team yeah yeah patty was on the team you're right patty was on the team uh box players you know like uh Kevin Finneran was on the team. Guys, yep. my old wings, my wings teammates, current Rob wings Sheck. teammates were on that team. Shecker was on it. Yeah. So unbelievable world games. And, you know, I think USA was up 11-1 after the third quarter and the stands just cleared. The story oh. goes, Homewood Field, the stands cleared. People are driving back to their houses and they're listening on the radio. And it was 11-2, 11-3, 11-4, 11-5, 11-6, 11-7, 11-8, 11-9, 11-11. Tied it up. We came all wow. the way back, tying it up. And and I remember specifically, Steve Toll took the ball, got a pass. He was our long pole. And he had the last shot of the game before overtime and just got stripped before he shot on Sal Ocasio. Oh. That would have put the game away. We would have won. And then it went into overtime. And and the rest was history. And, and, you know, I scored a goal in overtime. I think Millen scored the first one. It wasn't sudden death. International right. rules is not sudden death. And they scored, they scored two. We scored one. We hit the pipe later on in that, that overtime to tie it again. And it was an amazing, um, probably one of the best games you would ever see. And that's what they say. One of the best across games ever. No doubt. And so the, you know, experience, the experience, the experience of the world games was, was great for me. Yeah. And, uh, I, I got to be honest with you, Tom. I just got goosebumps, man, when you were when you were going through that because, you know, in '94, like you said, you guys got beat, which you know we we were very happy. We only had to play Australia in the championship, but in the '98, in that game, it was over. That game was over, and then the only way I could describe it. It was a helpless, like, tsunami. Yeah, right, right. Okay? And I remember thinking as I was walking off with my mom and dad off that field, I'm just, I'm so glad we didn't lose. And, like, I I wasn't going to have to, like, be someone that was, like, on the losing. But I'm not kidding you. I think a lot of us were in shock. Yeah. And to this day, I really felt like the game of lacrosse was a big winner that day. Well, that's you it know, was I, really yeah. it was really like when you look back on that game, Tom. That was like the really. I know that there was a gold and a silver and all that, but that game, man, was it's got to be one of the greatest games of all time. Period. I, I don't care when it was played, what kind of equipment was used, who the players were. That was sick. No, it was, and I remember just it, it was just the the ambiance and the fans and the energy at that field. And I've been in four world games and there was, uh, there was nothing like Baltimore. They hosted the best possible game, uh, event that I've ever seen, you know, the beer gardens after for all the families from different countries. And they was just top notch how they, how they, they formed that whole Johns Hopkins arena, uh, outside on the fields behind that. And it was amazing. That was special. Yeah, it was, you know, and uh, Charlie, you could probably see above me. You probably remember that poster there. Oh, yeah. That that poster reminds me every time that uh, we is lost that, that game. Is that a home we, one right there? No, that's that's a game that we lost, Charlie, in the championship game against Prince. Princeton in 1992, yep. over, double overtime. Yep. So it reminds me, you know, you always want to thrive, you want to strive to do better every single day. And, you know, I've won a lot of rings, a lot of championships, very fortunate, but I, I keep looking at that game as, 
Wow, Sound why do I keep thinking yeah. about why do I keep about why do I keep looking at that Sound game familiar. that we lost? Yeah. You know, I just I missed a shot in overtime. Dom Finn missed a shot. I just I I, I think about that game more than all the championship teams I played for. And, uh, I, hey Tom, me, I got goosebumps nice. again, man. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking the same thing, man. All the games that I've, I've ever you won. Remember the ones I remember the few that lost, yeah. and, and the one that he's talking about is got to be right at the top because yeah. on paper, you know, there's there's teams that are really good and you know, I'm not I'm not disrespecting anyone, you know, the other roster was very talented as well, but you know, though that those are the true situation like if you were to have played that game 100 times, we probably won 98 or 99 right. of them. Yeah. And and yeah. and and so that's a game I think about a lot. And I'm it's, sure Tom does too. I mean, you know. I I think that's I, a, Yeah, go ahead, Tom. No, no, it's it's it, it is. It, and I remember being on the bus and it was at Franklin Field, right, Charlie? It was uh, UPenn. Yeah. Uh, disgusting place to play a Final Four. It really I'll was. It really it was. was. Rickety, rickety old stands. Parking sucked. The weather was shitty. It was everything about it was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I hate that field for it. But I remember my dad, my dad flew into town all the way from Victoria and stayed with the Chases. Uh, an ex, uh, Brooke Chase yep. was an an old player, a teammate of mine before Charlie was here. And they they still remain friends, actually, my, my mom and, and the Chases. But I was on the – my dad wanted to drive back on the bus from UPenn all the way to Syracuse with me, and we talked about it. And it was just so sad. You know, I ended my – I was a captain. I ended my my last collegiate game losing in, in uh-huh. double overtime to a to a team I've never even heard of, Princeton. Because um, <laughs> they weren't even – believe it. Charlie knows that. They weren't even on the radar when we were playing uh, in those years. Wow. And, um, we were rooting for Princeton to beat Carolina in the semis. Remember, Charlie? Oh yeah, I do. We just we just beat Johns Hopkins in the semis that Saturday, and we're like, "Oh my God, Princeton just beat Carolina. We got a chance. We have a chance. <laughs> a chance. More than a chance, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they did the old tyranny, slow the ball down, made the sport boring, and it worked for him. He was Man. he was a he was smart because we were athletic. We were more athletic. We better sticks. We moved the ball fast, and they they slowed it down. Every time they had the ball, they moved it behind the goal for five minutes at a time, and it was uh, it was ugly lacrosse, and it, it worked it worked for them. But we we came back, you know, we scored and tied it up, and it was all right, uh, Tom. Yeah. Let's let's end this thing on. Is there is there anything positive that you can think of, <laughs> Tom? Is well, there anything? honestly, I was gonna say it's not a bad place to end because it you know it it's a good thing we have a lot of younger you know viewers and listeners as well who you know want to go on and play college lacrosse themselves and. I think it's a good message for kids because, you know, it it's that competitiveness is the reason a lot of times why you play the game. And especially if you want to go on to play at a at a high level institution like like a Syracuse or a Duke or a Virginia, all the schools that we've been mentioning, you know, it that's the kind of attitude you have to have. And and, you know, you're there to win a championship. And if you if you know, obviously you love the game and that's why you play, but if you're if you're there if you're not there to win, what other reason are you playing? So I almost think it, you know, it I think it's a great message to send. But, but if, you, but, you right, if right. there is a positive right. thing you want to end on, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. So the the positive thing, <laughs> the positives for me is the guys that were on that ninety-two team that lost in double overtime had another chance. And Charlie was obviously one of them. So I remember uh being at that Bird Stadium game in ninety-three and the breakdown with Beardsley and, and I think uh, Reggie Thorpe threw it to, to Charlie and 
Charlie threw it to a wide open streaking Matt Ryder for the, the winner with seconds left on the clock. I'll never forget that. I was more excited probably than most of the guys in the Syracuse team because uh -huh. I wanted those guys like Charlie to win one. Nice. And uh, yeah, I was excited for Charlie and those guys. All right. I think we can there end we the go. show now. I think that's great. Uh, uh, there we go. We're, great. we're going out on a high note with Tom. So. I love it. Yeah, Tom, Tom we'll, thank we'll, you we'll, so much. We'll, we'll get Tom back on too. We can talk sure. more prep. We can Absolutely. talk more lax and, and whatever. So Tom, thanks a lot, man, for coming on. And I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate your time and the insight is awesome, and I'm, I'm still a fan, Tom. I'm, I'm an old man now, but I, I love reminiscing and, and talking about those things because it, it really shapes so much of our, our life, you know? So thank you. Yeah. Anytime, guys. Anytime, guys.